Hello, and welcome to GEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by the team at Global Education Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping children who are affected by conflict or natural disaster access resources like educational materials and art supplies. As a part of this podcast, we want to talk about important topics related to children, their education, and their human rights. Of course, neither of us is an expert on these topics. We only speak to our knowledge, personal experience, perspectives, and opinions, but there are many credible online sources for further information. Today, we have myself, Catherine Slaughterbeck, and... Harderbeck. As your hosts. And we're going to be talking about um, the Speaker of the House issue that has been going on for the past about a month now, and how that looks moving forward. Um, But before we get into that, we have a quick word about our sponsors. Thanks to the generosity of our listeners, the individual donations that come in, we also have business sponsorships that are available. These are for our local businesses, national and international business partners that like what we're doing with our nonprofit work and want to continue to support us in our mission. So if you'd like to learn more, please go to our website. You can see our current sponsors. And there's also a contact us now form where if you're a business and you would like to sponsor the work that we do, please feel free to reach out to us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all so much. Um, So stick around to the end if you want to hear more about Giving Tuesday and our coloring book. These are just some of the few ways that you can help support us and the work we do here at Global Education Connection. So back to the Speaker of the House. Um, For anyone who kind of was paying attention back in January, we had the whole drama of getting Kevin McCarthy confirmed as Speaker. I remember staying up every single night in my living room watching this happen on live tv and thinking oh my god this like this was historic i know like it's the only thing you hear anymore these unprecedented things oh my god it's the first time it's happened and ever but genuinely this was the first time in i think a hundred years that it had taken more than one vote to confirm speaker of the house <laughs> so from that alone we all kind of knew that kevin mccarthy's speakership was going to face some hurdles in the future and that in order to become speaker, he had lowered um, the members required to call for um, him to vacate his position in order to get that position in the first place. In my not so humble opinion, bad move. Don't, don't do that. Um, I think think before we go any further, I think it's important to, to state what is the speaker of the house. Yeah. So, so, Catherine, maybe you can uh, chime in on this, but from my understanding of the three branches of the government that um, are under the umbrella of the United States, we have the executive branch, which uh, the president is is the um, commander in chief. Uh, president is over the executive branch. We also have the judicial branch, which is the Supreme Court. They oversee the judicial branch. And then we have the legislative branch, which has a House of Representatives and then also a Senate. Um, every state, so we have 50 states in the United States and each state gets two senators and based off of the population of the state, there are representatives and that's where you get the house of representatives. So I think there's what, five, 500, how many, how many, uh, representatives? Oh, there's 460 something. <gasps> So there's 460, 460 plus, plus or minus uh, members that are part of the House of Representatives. And these members are divided up into, with our two-party system, there's the majority and the minority. They each, 
each party elects their leader. So there's going to be the minority leader, and then there's the majority leader. The majority leader is what's known as the Speaker of the House. And this is the highest position within the uh, legislative branch. They're the third in line of succession uh, for the presidency because it goes president, vice president, and then Speaker of the House. Um, so that does just want to provide some some feedback. So this is a very powerful position, and effectively they represent the legislative branch and they communicate directly with the president. Yeah. So just to correct myself, there are four hundred and thirty five oh, okay, members okay. of the House. Four hundred thirty five representatives. Representatives. No. Um, but so essentially, yes, whichever um, party is currently in control of the House of Representatives will nominate someone to be Speaker of the House, which is usually the person leading the party, um, though someone does then kind of step into the role of party leader once the previous leader has become Speaker of the House. Like you can't be Speaker of the House and Speaker of, and leader of the party at the same time. They're two separate positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, basically they serve as a spokesperson for the House. They're the one most visible. So like that's the reason Nancy Pelosi was always giving press conferences. She was the one who spoke for the House. Um, the speaker. <laughs> um, they usually they'll set the agenda and explain legislative action to Washington officials and the public. Um, they oversee House committee assignments. That's why when we had the whole thing with Kevin McCarthy, there were a lot of back deals going on between certain members getting certain positions on certain committees. Um, and they also work with the House Rules Committee to structure how debate works and establish rules because kind of every new Congress, you need to reestablish the rules. Um, they also manage like the business on the floor. And like I said, man- like navigate all of the rules, making sure um, that everything flows the way it's supposed to um, and sticking to the rules um, to make sure that a body of 435 people can do its job. Um, they also oversee a lot of the accounting for the house um, and deal with the money. So it it's a pretty big role. And like you said, they are third in line for the presidency. So this isn't just a, oh, they're speaker. It's no, they're speaker. If something were to happen to the vice president president, they would become the president of the United States. Um, that's why the role is such a big deal. Um, so like we said, Kevin McCarthy had his very challenging time getting to speaker back in January. Um, I think it took like 15 rounds of voting. Um, 13 to 15, I, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it something was, that was unprecedented. It was, a, um, it was, it was a lot. Yeah. And, uh, um, like what, he's, what was most shocking to, to me is out of the, the votes that we've seen lately for, um, Supreme court justices for military appointments for speaker of the house. These they haven't been as they haven't been unanimous. They there hasn't even been bipartisan agreement. It's been very divided over the last couple of years, and so I think I, it would have been a shock to see uh, bipartisan approval for Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, and I, I will note that currently um, military appointments are being held up in the Senate by Tommy T- Tuberville, and actually um, our appointment of. Um, Oh my gosh, like delegates to other countries. Um, word that I can suddenly. Yes, ambassadors is also currently being held up in the Senate by the lovely Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. So we currently don't actually have a lot of these roles filled. That's why a lot of stuff that's going on internationally has been such a big deal because we don't have the people in strategic positions in order to manage it. Um, but specifically going back to the House, yeah, the fact that we didn't have a speaker for three weeks 
is a really big deal, especially with the budget. Um, because November 18th, the kind of interim budget that they put into place runs out. And if they do not have something figured out by then, uh, we go into a government shutdown, which means that millions of people will not get paid. So this is especially scary given what's going on kind of internationally, as well as the kind of issues going on here domestically. So this is this is a big deal. It's also important to point out that government shutdowns are, are not, unfortunately, they're not unique. Um, they've they occur quite frequently, and they're a tactic that are uh, that are used by the political parties to to as leverage to get what they want. Um, I know that there there have been government shutdowns. I think through every presidential administration. Um, let's see. Well, let's see. No, not every. I mean, over the, the past couple administrations, there have been government shutdowns that have been used as leverage to to pass legislation. Yeah. So if it does happen, it's not unique. Like I think we all remember it happening multiple times under Trump. Mm -hmm. I was too young to remember it if it happened under um, Obama or any other presidents. Hey, 2003 gang rise up. So I can only really speak to like the Trump presidency and Biden so far. Um, but yeah, this isn't a unique thing. Um, it is unfortunately just a reality of our current political divide in America. Um, yeah, that's so for in 2013, the government was shut down from October 1st to October 17th. Um, so over the last couple of administrations, it's definitely been a weaponized tactic that both parties yeah. are using, which is which is kind of strange because you're really playing with people's livelihoods, um, people's way of being able to to um, collect social security. Um, there, there's just, there's a lot of, of different aspects that are very integral to government operating. And when you shut that down to be able to, to pass your agenda, um, I, I think that's a bad, a bad precedent that's already been set. Definitely. Um, and you know, as political divisions in the country get more severe as more extreme people who hold more extreme political views are elected to Congress who don't want to negotiate on these issues. I think that's just become going to become more and more frequent um, as people, they don't want to negotiate. And in politics, a lot of what you're supposed to do is negotiating. That is your job. So it's, it's very frustrating to kind of sit and be like, then, then what, why were you elected to office if you're not going to do the job that the office entails? Yeah, so that's the that's the model UN delegate coming out in me, but that's what we that's what in the United States we have been dealing with for the past couple of administrations. Um, over the last, like I said, the the one I just pointed out, the example was from 2013. So at least for the past ten years, we've been dealing with these government shutdowns um, with increasing frequency. Yeah, and you know it's 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 a shame, like we said, because. We elect people into office to do the job that the office entails, which is, you know, passing a budget so people can get paid. Um, so it's it's frustrating. And I completely understand people's frustration with it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, that leads us to we provided some example um, examples of past speakers of the House. And then Catherine, you, you talked about some of the, the issues leading up to Kevin McCarthy becoming speaker. And then also he was voted out of his speakership. Um, and since being voted out, we, ha we did not have a speaker of the House for 22 days. 
Um, the Republicans were were fighting because they have the majority in the House representatives. They were fighting over who would be their their representative. Um, several names got floated around: um, Scalise, Emmer, um, and now Johnson. Jordan. What was that? Yeah, Jim Jordan. Yep. And it looks like they have settled on um, being able to back Mike Johnson. And he is a representative from Louisiana part, and he represents the Northwest um, section of Louisiana. Um, part of his background, he was a constitutional lawyer. Um, I think he was elected to the House of Representatives in 2014. I think 14 or was it 16? It's it's very free. It's new. He's a he's a very fresh member of Congress. Um, that's kind of why he's learning on the job because he Apologize. hasn't been in Congress long enough. So so he uh, he's a Republican representing Louisiana's fourth district since 2017. Um, so so yes, as Catherine said, he is a very um, a new member to the the house representative not not a young member i mean he's 51 years old um there are definitely younger members but in terms of career politicians let's say <laughs> he, yeah uh, he, he's not a it doesn't appear like he's a career politician at this point yeah so they managed to elect him what last week was when they finally um confirmed his him as speaker which followed excuse me several weeks of Republicans going behind closed doors and kind of fighting amongst themselves for who they were going to nominate because they tried with Scalise, they tried with Jordan, and they just, they couldn't get those votes. Um, and then, like at the last second, with no warning, they whipped this guy out of their back pocket and went surprise, and somehow managed to pass him through. Um, well, also he was the he he also serves as the well maybe serves before the speaker uh, speakership. He served as the deputy whip for the House Republicans. Um, so I mean. Definitely, he's he's been able to to he definitely knows um, how to to gather votes um, just through his his experience as being deputy whip. Yeah, but I mean, he is one of the more extreme members of Congress, so I'm I'm very curious to see how that will play a role. Like McCarthy, yeah, he kind of kicked up a fuss about it, but he was when it came down to it, willing to. Do negotiate with Democrats. That's ultimately what did him in in the end. That's why uh, Matt Gates called for him to be removed yeah. from his position. But I am very hesitant about his ability to extend the olive branch to Democrats <laughs> to see if they can work on stuff because the Republicans have such a slim majority yeah. in the House that they need to. Like, it. You, sorry, you have to negotiate. Yeah. And I like, think with, uh, like you said, Kevin Carthy's downfall, I think, was his I think he tried to be a centrist. He tried to appease both the Republicans and the Democrats. But I think Mike Johnson, uh, through his through his experience with being deputy whip, I think he's just trying to appease the the center of the Republican Party. Not, I don't even think he's trying to to, to bother with um, trying to appease Democrats at this point. I think the only thing that he's been focusing on is gathering the majority, if not all, of the Republican vote. Which I think we've seen over the last few weeks is very difficult. Um, <laughs> so that that will be interesting to see if he's able to manage that, um, especially kind of given his track record on voting. Like he has a very contentious track record. Like he voted against marriage equality. He voted against certifying the twenty twenty election. 
Um, he is one, like I said, one of the more extreme members of Congress. Um, finds I don't know if he's officially a member of the Freedom Caucus, but from my understanding, he tends to align himself very heavily with their beliefs. He, I think, served as a constitutional lawyer, like a kind of advisor for Trump at one point. So he, he's not a moderate Republican, even if he is attempting to work with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, looking at his um, his voting track record, uh, he did not vote to certify the 2020 election. Um, he he has been voting against uh, sending aid to Ukraine, um, like Catherine said, also with same-sex marriage. Um, and there, there's been also a couple other other things. I think what stands out to me is his he has more of an isolationist stance on the uh, world stage, um, which is a little bit contrary to to the past couple of years under the Biden administration, where we've been trying to put out fires around the world. Um, I think there there's many different opinions on that, but I think that's definitely conflicting with Biden's um, uh, ideology and what he's trying to accomplish globally. And so I think Mike Johnson wants to bring that back a little bit and focus a little bit more on um, U.S. policy rather than uh, international. Yeah, and like you said, you know, with the current conflict going on in Ukraine, with the current conflict going on in Israel, with the fears that China might invade Taiwan, there are a lot of international issues that we are involved in at the moment, um, and that we we do that for a reason. Like we don't just do this stuff willy nilly. There's a reason we are involved, um, and it's much more complicated than it seems. That's why a lot of the time they just boil it down to national security, and I know that is not a great explanation, especially when they don't take the time to explain why it's in our national security. But we are involved in that for a reason. Like, it's not just a, we are the world's policemen. There's there's genuinely reasons we we do the things that we do, even if it doesn't seem like there are, or there, we might not consider them good ones, but they do exist. <laughs> so it's it's very concerning, especially like for the Biden administration, for the work that they want to do. Um, providing funding to Ukraine, Taiwan, Israel, um, that they are going to face a much greater challenge doing with him as speaker. Uh, We just saw that recently, um, that they put forth the aid package to all three of those countries, and he said, nope, and just pulled Israel out of the bunch, kind of did away with Ukraine and Taiwan, and said, okay, we'll send the aid to Israel, but only if you cut um, money for the IRS. And, and there's so, a, there an NPR article about that that was published on, on Halloween on October 31st. Um, in order to fund that, the House the House bill, which would be funding for Israel aid, would cut $14 billion out of the $80 billion that Biden's 2022 Inflation Reduction Act allocated for the IRS. Now, the IRS, for people that don't know, handles uh, basically our tax returns. They handle, they're the taxpayer service and enforcement agency of the government. Um, so out of the $80 billion that has been allocated for the IRS, um, $14 billion was, um, is planning to be cut from that. Um, so I, I think that was, uh, it, it definitely appeases the uh, Republican um, stance on that, whereby they want a smaller federal government agencies, where they, whereby they want smaller uh, IRS um, 
enforcement capacities. And I think that's not unfounded um, because it, it did come out that the IRS was targeting Republicans uh, during the Obama administration. I mean, that's not that's not like a like a conspiracy theory like that. That was that that was that that did actually come out. So there is some fear on the part of the Republicans, but I think that's gain, getting the trust back to the IRS, which is very important. And I think before both parties have full trust in the IRS, they don't want to ha allocate so much money to them. Um, and I don't think it's just out of getting out of paying taxes. I, th I think there's definitely some the lack of trust, not, not only in the federal government, but the IRS. Yeah, but doesn't the, the funding that it would go towards specifically um, be like the IRS going after wealthy people evading taxes? I think that's. I think that was the, that was the 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 goal that I think is being is being um, used as a talking point to to gain some some like a public um, like public uh, backing for that. But uh, like logistically, I don't see how they're are they going to have like a task force that task force billions of dollars that's going to be used to just uh, have agents that go go after billionaires. Well, I, I, it's them specifically, from what I remember, going after um, funding that had been given to the IRS um, under the Inflation Reduction Act to specifically, um, oh gosh, sorry, I'm, I'm yeah, um, but it, okay, this is from the New York Times, uh, an opinion piece on this, um, it says, Mr. Biden must agree to cut the same amount of money the Internal Revenue Service uses to chase down high-income tax cheats. So essentially, the U.S. can protect Israel as long as it also protects rich white-collar criminals. Um, so it, it is, yeah, okay. Further down, ever since Mr. Biden won $80 billion for stronger IRS enforcement in the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act, Republicans have made that money a target, exploiting the agency's sheriff of Nottingham public image by trying to delude ordinary taxpayers into believing the extra funds meant the agency was coming after them when it's specifically targeted after going, uh, going after more um, affluent, uh, wealthy people who are... Uh, who, as it says, costs the treasury billions every year. And I think that, so, that kind of hits back to that, that point I made earlier was I just don't think that even if they say that's the goal of it, I just don't think the trust is there to actually believe them. Like people don't, people already don't trust the federal government. I know you and I have these conversations. We're like, I know the government said this, but do we really trust them? Let alone individual agencies. Like how many people really trust the FDA? How many people really trust the um, NHS? How many people really trust the the IRS in this point? And I, I think it's it's a it's a trust issue whereby if they say they're going to do something, um, I think there's a there's a great fear that they're going to use the they're going to use a lot of money for nefarious actions. Yeah, but like, I mean specifically, this money was in the Inflation Reduction Act, dedicated to going after billionaires, essentially, who are evading taxes. Mm -hmm. So if they're specifically going after that money, it's because they want to protect their donors, essentially. Because donors play a very big role in uh, candidates' re-election efforts. And uh, with the, and we're coming up on an election year. With the, uh, so. the, the influx of super PACs, Big donors are definitely key to getting our representatives, our senators, the presidency reelected. 
I mean, have you seen the numbers for how much money is raised to how much how much it costs to to become president? I have not seen specific numbers, but it's I'm I have no doubt it's a lot. Like, oh my gosh, um the Gen Z um member of Congress that was elected out of Florida. Okay. He gave a um an interview to one of the late night talk shows about genuinely how expensive it is to run for Congress and that's why it is so hard for so many people like he had to quit his job he was um doing i think uber late at night just to raise money so he wasn't living on the streets like it's it's expensive that's why it's it's so unattainable for so many people who would want to be involved in politics but just can't because of how genuinely expensive it's become so out of the the and and looking at that the 2020 election the so for the 2020 election, uh, including both the presidential spending and congressional spending, the federal um, it was let's see federal spending in 2020 election topped 14.4 billion dollars, the most expensive election in U.S. history. So there is a lot of money that is being thrown around to get these people elected. Um, personally, I don't I don't agree with that. I think there there definitely needs to be caps on this um, because. Once you allow money to to come in, it's very hard to to stop that stop the faucet and to keep track of the money to make sure that maybe that maybe that that goes back to the need for IRS agents to keep track of the money uh, where it's coming from and how it's being spent. Yeah, you know, once the Supreme Court ruled that money in politics is covered by the First Amendment, we've we've seen this yeah. like the the increase in money that goes into funding campaigns and going towards Catherine when was that when was that decision by the Supreme Court oh it wasn't that long ago um let me double check and then so while Catherine is, is checking on that I'm, I'm looking and the 2008 election that total was a little over five billion dollars that was spent on that election and then uh, 2012, you had a little bit over six. 2016, you had a little over six. And then something happened in 2020 where just both the federal federal um, spending and then also the well, sorry, the presidential spending and congressional spending just went above 14 billion. So more than double what it's ever been. And so there's there's quite a bit of money that is being raised biden was the first uh biden's campaign was the first ever to raise over a billion dollars from donors um trump's campaign raised 774 million dollars so talk about some very serious money yeah so on on the court case it's citizens united v fec and it was ruled on january 21st 2010 uh, the court issued a 5-4 decision in favor of Citizens United that struck down the BCRA's restrictions on independent expenditures from corporation or corporate treasuries as violations of the First Amendment, mm-hmm. essentially saying money in politics is free speech. Yeah. So uh, I, I think with the amount of money that went into the 2020 election specifically, um, that also might have genuinely been because of COVID. Like they had to do a lot more like online campaigning or like running TV ads because they mm-hmm. couldn't have like that's big a, get-togethers a, where he that's can. That's a speak. really interesting point. Um, 
being able to- I don't I genuinely I don't know if that played a role but like that's uh, just immediately what I thought of well so if you think about it, like there's a big there was a big tech boom that happened with covid where um people would just became more comfortable working remotely working on their computers working on their phones and I mean social media and, and tech companies they they really grew during that period so I mean that's not a that's not a unfair, that wouldn't, I would actually agree that might be an interesting hypothesis as to why there was so much money being raised so successfully for that 2020 election, because um, basically everyone was relying on technology. So online advertising was going to be a lot more prevalent. I also think it was because at least why Biden was able to raise that much money, um, specifically in democratic or leftist spheres or even republicans who didn't like trump they saw another trump term as incredibly dangerous mm -hmm. so they poured a bunch of money into getting biden elected even though he wasn't a, a widely popular candidate he was, he was the one that he was he, just not he was not trump yeah yeah and so i think it's going to be really interesting having mike johnson now as speaker of the house um and then coming up on the 2024 election, um, it's going to be really interesting to see to see how the fundraising works with that um, in conjunction with if they're able to pass this this method of funding, the Israel aid through IRS cuts. It will also be um, interesting to see how long he lasts as speaker because I, I don't know if they change the rules with him becoming speaker or if it's only one person you still need. Um, we saw that they're willing and able to oust one speaker. What's to say he's not also facing the same thing from his party? I watched an interview with him and it was one of his recent interviews. And I think he he alluded to there might be a change in the uh, the rules whereby they uh they have to do like a vote not just a single individual can call up a um like a competency uh vote against the speaker or a, a no confidence vote yeah but i mean even with that the democrats would all vote against him mm -hmm. so he would just need a couple of republicans to also vote against him yeah if it's just a simple majority that's required, I'm not sure off the top of my head if it's a simple majority or two thirds, I would assume. I think it, I think it is a simple, simple majority. Yeah, that would be my my assumption. So if that's the case, like he's already lost almost half just because the Democrats would never ever vote for a Republican. So he well, would just well, need to lose. But in this in this time though, there have been like the not too not too uh, distant history, Democrats and Republicans have voted together for speaker. They voted together for Supreme Court justices. They voted together um, for lots of things. So it's, it's this, whatever is happening right now is causing basically both sides to be at a complete stalemate. And we just have a couple little actors in the middle that are, that are making lots of noise. Yeah. And you know, that, that like, like we said earlier, poses a, a big challenge and danger for the budget because you know anything that has the house has to pass the senate and the democrats control the senate and also biden would have to sign it so you have to make something that not only the democrats would pass in the senate but that a democratic president would ratify so it's it's very challenging especially when so many republicans or other members of Congress are calling for cuts to education or cuts to healthcare or cuts to food stamps or things like WIC um, or SNAP. So it's, 
it's it's going to be very interesting yeah. to see what happens and how that affects the greater American public. Absolutely. And so I, I was watching this this uh, interview and I was trying to gauge, OK, like like what's his what's going to be his position on some of these key issues um, and looking at his previous voting history, some of the things that he said, I, I feel like he's not going to be not going to be whipping votes based off of his personal agenda, but rather trying to appease the party. Not not trying Which to is going to be challenging given the extreme divide within the Republican Party. Exactly. Exactly. And I and I, I think there's a consensus for for is Israel aid um within the Republican Party, which is why I think that he's he had pushed to separate Israel from the rest of the foreign aid um money that Biden um proposed. Um and I know there's more contention with Ukraine aid. Um my 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 opinion is not included in, included in this, um, but just this is just from what I've observed from um, from some of the the speeches and interviews. Yeah, they definitely seem to have come together on Israel, but <laughs> Ukraine has always been contentious. Yeah, um, whether that's us the Republicans not wanting to get involved in international affairs or because of their personal views on. Ukraine or Russia, yeah. notwithstanding, but they, they don't want to fund it. Um, I think they're still going to have to, especially if they want it to pass. But that's where we are currently at with that. And Taiwan's always been kind of a tricky thing because like, we've committed to protecting Taiwan in the event that China invades. But Well, in, in the U.S. case, we have a very, very strong reliance on, on Taiwan's manufacturing for their semiconductor chips. So it, it, yeah. it's like, I don't know if people realize just how prevalent these semiconductor chips are in our daily lives. Like cars today utilize hundreds of these semiconductor chips per car, um, cell phones, refrigerators. Um, a lot of our life is really reliant upon, in this case, Taiwan and Taiwan's yeah. manufacturing capabilities. So it's it's in the U.S.'s direct interest to to support and defend Taiwan um, because China would not be, is not going to be um, a, a, a very good trading partner when they know how much we rely upon Taiwan semiconductor chips. Definitely. And I think in terms of, of Ukraine, we have, we don't have that manufacturing reliance upon Ukraine. It's more of a deterrence factor against uh, a dictator who's trying to, to grab land um, and then is Israel's is, is a separate issue. So these three, these three hot topics, um, they are all very different, but they all relate to foreign policy. And, uh, so it's, I can see why they might not want to all be bundled together in one bill. Um, but they're all equally important. Yeah. I, I think that this, I definitely agree that they shouldn't have been bundled i think they tried to do that because they thought it would be easier to pass them all in one go oh yeah definitely. but yeah they are they are three completely separate things while china and taiwan have similarities to russia and ukraine like the fear that mm -hmm. uh fear of violation of international law regarding sovereignty or with ukraine there's fear that if russia took ukraine that 
they wouldn't stop there and would go after NATO, NATO countries. And then under Article 5 of NATO, we would be required to respond and possibly result in a global world war, um, which I don't think anyone wants. And then Israel is a whole other separate issue that you have to be very careful with tackling. I think we all see that with the news and how politicians are speaking about it and how people on social media are. Or, so it's, it's, they're all very complex issues that share similarities, but d should not be grouped together because of how stark the differences are. And so I think that Republicans, and Democrats can agree that, that the world needs help. But there's a there's just the, the difference ideologically about how to go about accomplishing that. And I think something that Mike Johnson was talking about this week was how to fund it. And in this case, he wants to fund the aid to Israel through cuts in proposed additions to the IRS. Now, Catherine, earlier I talked about an NPR article, and then actually I was reading further in that article. The IRS said that they would use the money from Biden's 2022 Inflation Reduction Act that would be used to update their decades-old computer systems. I mean, that's no surprise. Um, they, they desperately need um, infrastructure improvements. And then also improve their customer service and step up enforcement for collecting an estimated $600 billion in taxes that go unpaid every year. Much of it, Catherine, like you said, from wealthy people who underreport their income. So it looked like the the extra eighty billion that is going towards the IRS, fourteen it was going to be cut, and I don't know. It doesn't say if it's going to be cut from the improvements to the uh, computer infrastructure, to their customer service, um, or also to their enforcement in trying to collect this extra six hundred billion that is that is that is unpaid. Um, I don't know if you've tried calling the IRS, but it's like. It's like basically impossible to talk to someone. Um, however, there is a <laughs> there is a way though. I won't I won't <laughs> I won't say it on the, on the podcast. But um, <laughs> but um, I, it's 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 almost it's really unfortunate. But it's almost a joke trying to talk to someone at the IRS just by how understaffed they are and the their capacity to to talk about customer service but it's really it's it's taxpayer services um all we're yeah. all we're trying to do is is find out what's going on with our taxes and um it's just sometimes it's really difficult to even to talk to somebody so um they yeah, they're you know, oh. they're in desperate need of of a computer update customer service and also like that article said there's there's a lot of money that is um being under underreported and so that that's a loss of revenue for the government um, so, yeah, you know, like you mentioned earlier about lack of trust for organizations like the FDA, the FDA also faces extreme, like understaffment issues. Like, yeah. I don't know if you watch John Oliver, but as someone who adores late night TV, um, I'm, I'm sleeping. <laughs> well, I don't watch it live, <laughs> but last, last week tonight with John Oliver actually recently did an episode on the FDA and why it struggles so much to enforce the things that it does or why it's so far behind on so many things. And it's because of how desperately understaffed they are. So this isn't just an IRS issue. This is kind of a whole federal government issue that needs to be addressed, yeah. but getting Congress to do that and provide them the money to do it is a whole other, that's a whole other ballpark. 
And I, I think before, I think, I think what's, what's holding up Republicans is before more, more money, especially the level that was being proposed, goes towards these agencies. I think they're, they want to see, they want to, to try to gain more trust in these agencies. Um, and I, I don't know how they, I don't know how that could be achieved. Um, but I think, I think that's what's the, um, kind of like the, the issue that's holding up Republicans from, um, agreeing to these, these large increases in budgets. I just don't think they want to spend the money. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that was the NPR article, um, that I've, I've, uh, been referring to, um, over, over the, the course of this, this episode here. Um, so it will be really interesting to see how Mike Johnson works with the, the president, the vice president, and then also, um, the, the Senate and then also his own party. And then the, uh, the Democrats, um, we, we desperately need some, some, we desperately need things to get done in this, in, in this country. Um, and I, all I, all I can hope for is some bipartisan work to be able to, to make things better for people. Definitely. Great. Um, I think that was a really, really great conversation. Um, but before we wrap up for today, I think we should hear a quick word about our coloring book and Giving Tuesday. Yes. So uh, in addition to the generous individual donations, in addition to the corporate sponsorships, we also have a coloring book. It's the same coloring book that we send to kids all around the world. Um, that coloring book is available on Amazon to purchase. It has interesting facts about animals and also some really great um, pictures and images of animals that kids can draw with. Um, so if you want to continue to support the work that we do, please go on to Amazon and purchase that coloring book. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know my, my kid enjoys it. So in addition to the coloring book, we also have for the month of November, Giving Tuesday. It is the biggest time of the year for nonprofits to be able to, to raise some money to continue with their efforts. So around the holidays, we have Thanksgiving, we have um, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, and then for nonprofits like us, we have Giving Tuesday. And so for this whole month, we're doing a promotion where if a donor donates $50, they get one of our new mugs. If they donate 75, they get a mug and a tote. These mugs and totes have our brand on them and they're really, really great quality wise. Plus they're fun and they're useful. So you can use them in your daily lives. So if you'd like to, if you do a donation, you get this mug for free and a tote for free as well. Um, you can go onto our website, you can go onto our Instagram, our Facebook. Um, you can check out our nonprofit, like, share, follow. Um, but with that donation, we will send these items to you for free. So thank you so much. Um, and we hope to have a great month of November for Giving Tuesday. Yeah, I hope so too. Well, thank you all so much for listening. This is, I think we're going to wrap it up there uh, for today. Uh, this has been GEC Important Talks hosted by the team at Global Education Connection. You can find us at our website, www.globaleducationconnection.org to find more about who we are, what we do, and how else you can best support us, like the ways that Carter has already mentioned. Um, you can also find us on all social media platforms where, again, you can also learn more about Giving Tuesday. So thank you again so much for joining us, and we hope to have you back next week. Bye!